45 going on 46, the first time I recorded a podcast about four kids going out to find a dead body. It was in a podcast called Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we looked at films previously described by other narrators as masterpieces. It was a long podcast, but only if you define it in terms of episodes. Welcome to episode 24 of Ribbon of Memes. I am Nick, and I'm joined as ever by the reminiscent Roger as we... Hello, as we dive into the cold pool full of leeches, that is Rob Reiner's 1986 Stand By Me. Um, this this may be an interesting episode, because this hasn't happened very often before, but um, this is one of my favourite films of all time, TM. Um, and I don't think I don't think you liked it very much. Is that really fair to say, Roger? not get on with it at all. But, you know, oh my we're, goodness. We're, we're grown-ups. We respect each other. We will just come away from this with, with a firm acceptance that the other is completely stupid. <laughs> um, yes, I think that's very likely. Um, but at least we will maintain... We're, we're English. We'll maintain civility during the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> at least, as my much my as friends possible. will call on yours, sir. <laughs> Okay, well, I guess uh, for those who haven't seen a brief summary of the plot, um, such as it is, I mean, it's pretty light on plot, stand by me. It is, it's very obvious. It's definitely going for the interpersonal and the atmosphere over actual events, which is fair enough. And yes, and heavy nostalgia. It's a film, I don't want to get too involved with that while we're doing a plot summary. Um, It is a, uh, based on Stephen King's short story, The Body. This may be where we part company as well, because I quite like Stephen King. You are not a fan of his writing, is that I have fair? Li- I've liked some of his books. Okay. Um, but the, sh- sh- shall we just do the plot summary first? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is uh, four kids in a small town in 1959, Oregon. Um, Castle Rock, the setting of many of Stephen King's uh, stories, actually. Um, I always in, in, in the story, it's in Maine, of course. Yeah, I was going to say, I always thought Stephen King wrote in Maine, and there you are, you just correct me. But in the film, it's in Oregon. Um, four kids, um, 12 years old, I think they're all 12, uh, decide uh, to go out. They hear rumours of a dead body on the railway tracks, and they decide to go out and find him. They uh, walk, it's a couple of days walk from home, they go, find it. Um, there's some trouble with the local thug, Ace Merrill, and they come back. That's that's pretty much the story. Um, it is narrated by uh, our old friend Richard Dreyfus, who we la- I think we last saw um, swimming back to shore in Jaws, wondering why um, uh, uh, Chief Brody didn't like the water. Um, here he's he's really just a framing device. He also maddeningly to me every time I watch it turns his word processor off before he saves his documents. <laughs> Immediately after the film stopped, he's likely to scream swear words and start all over again. But there we go. That's for a different story. Um, okay, yeah, there it was we are. One of those Amstrads where where it would just auto save with every every few t- keystrokes without asking you. Oh, I hope so. That would settle a burning problem deep in my soul. <laughs> Maybe that's the cause of any of my problems. Um, Right, yeah. I mean, it is a film, light on plot, as you say, pretty heavy on feelings, uh, emotional connections, nostalgia. It's very heavily permeated with nostalgia. Uh, kind of a general nostalgia as well. Some, it's, it's quite specific for the 50s, but also a general feeling of lost youth and, um, lost innocence. And, uh, it's, it's one of those, whatever it means by a coming of age tale, um, and that covers a lot of sins, but this is a, uh, I would call it a fairly textbook coming of age tale, but a very, for me, uh, well written, well acted one. I, but we'll I think it's fair to stay, say about Stephen King that he generally doesn't do striking the original stuff, but he does stuff that appeals to people. Uh, yes. I, I, I've read a few of his books. I, I rather enjoyed Firestarter. Even yes, that, Fire to go. That's one of his very earliest that, ones. Uh, yeah, that's 1980. Even even that, realizing that you know people had been doing a whole lot of psychic powers and government conspiracies and stuff through the 70s, but it was still sort of new and timely. Yeah, um, it does it pretty well, but it it's not you know it's, it's not going to revolutionize anything. The, the point is, I think that he he's he's the the Henry Ford of that sort of story. <laughs> he he's the guy who produces it in, in a convenient format that 
you know, lots of people can read and it becomes very popular. He's not really... It's certainly into mass production. Yes, I agree. You could argue a similar thing about Alan Moore, however, one of my other favourite writers. He is at his best when... I don't want to segue the podcast, but Alan Moore is at his best when he takes other people, char- other people's characters and puts his own spin on them, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, but Stephen King, yes, takes other people's ideas and kingizes them and kind of mass produces them. I think that's fair to say. I, I wouldn't argue well, with sure, any I'm of sure that. I'm sure a whole lot more people read Firestarter than read any of the things that it was influenced by, for example. Yes. Yeah. And that's no, not necessarily in itself a bad thing. Mm. I, I think where Stephen King shines, and I think it's worth talking about King because this film feels like a very faithful Stephen King adaptation to me. It, it touches on a lot of the things King is interested in. Mm. Childhood and loss of innocence, writing. <laughs> um, I, I haven't nostalgia. read the story, but it, but it certainly feels like a story adaptation more than it feels natively like a film. Yes, that's fair. So, I mean, right, whenever you've got a narrator in a film straight away, that, that makes you wonder about it. Um, but it does. It feels like a King story as much as it feels like Rob Reiner. Uh, yeah, but Stephen this King... This his third film as a director, I believe. Yes, had he d- he'd done Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap was um, his first, and I, I'm not going to argue with anybody who says that's a masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe go back to it in the second pass. Uh, the Sure Thing, which is... Oh, is that John Cusack? I quite Ad- like yeah, that Yeah, adolescent one. romantic comedy. And then the, See, next, um... the next thing he did after this was The Princess Bride. So... Oh. Which we can both agree is a masterpiece. Yeah, uh, we probably won't do that here. We, maybe we will, but we. Um... Well, it's, I, I think given that we're trying to go for films that we don't already know inside out. Yeah, <laughs> though we may make an exception or two. We we may, um, yeah, and it's also a film that has been much discussed. I mean, a lot of these films have, but perhaps Stand by Me hasn't had the same same level of interest from the kind of circles we move in, <laughs> if nothing else. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, Rob Reiner, the changes I gather that Rob Reiner um, put in were, whereas the story, as I recall, um, is really about all four of the kids, the the film really puts uh, Gordy front and centre as, mm-hmm. as the main character who is undergoing um, undergoing his awakening of uh, adult life and how to grow up. Um he also puts the gun in uh, in Gordy's hands, which is in Chris's hands in the book. Um, at the end of the film, when they they stand up to Ace Merrill, uh, I do. Well, one of my reservations of the film is, uh, I, I don't know, it's a bit like to be a man, you must hold a gun. Uh, in a way, that the resolution, the resolution of the main plot, such that it is, involves. Uh, threat of violence. I'm not sure entirely how I feel about that. Also, I mean, maybe it is the case that these are meant to be very small-time local thugs who have never had any real opposition. Yes. Because any vaguely competent thug would say, yeah, right, you're going to have so much trigger flinch that I can walk over to you and take that gun away from you before you you will pull the trigger. Well, I think you've hit... Particularly with my five friends around. In a way, another of my problems, because it is worth talking about, another of my problems with the film is um, Kiefer Sutherland is not a problem, he's he's just too good, almost. He he was the guy whose acting stood out to me in this. I mean, child actors, obviously, you know, they don't have the experience. Yes. But he, he really struck me as, you know, could we see a film about him? (laughs) <laughs> Even though he's just this little small town local thug. Well, that, I, I think he is almost too well cast for a small town local thug. You, you believe he's going to go on to better, <laughs> worse things, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Um, and, and that, I think, is takes some of the sting out of the resolution in that it's even with a gun, it's hard to imagine Geordie uh, getting away with that with Ace Merrill. Um and I, I agree. I mean, I'm not going to argue. I, Kiefer Sutherland, I think, is amazing in the film. I just think he's a bit too good for the character. He's, I said, but in the book, Ace is fundamentally a coward, and mm. so he's never going to chance that kind of situation. Yeah. And that's why it works. In the, I don't know, he doesn't really come across, even though he is a phenomenal bully, he doesn't really come across as someone who would back down in that situation. Maybe it works for other people, but mm. I agree. It, it, it does feel to me that that's very much the... 
uh, the same thing you get you get in um, some sorts of sh- some shonen anime shows that you know I'm going to prevail because I just have so much stronger and more sincere feelings than you in this individual moment. Yes, which you know is fine as a storytelling technique, but in a in a film that's essentially tried to be realistic, feels like a bit of a surprising turn. It feels very kingy to me. Feels like something <laughs> very uh, king protagonist. Um, but I still, it still wins me over because of the the line: "Are you going to kill? Are you going to kill all of us? Then no ways, just you." Which I think is, <laughs> is quite a nice turn. But fundamentally, the film needs that as kind of a dramatic framework, I think. But it, the film really isn't about that and about the resolution of that plot. It's... Yeah, I mean that it's not even affecting the kids until they realise that holy crap, he's here. They're not mm. think they're not thinking, you know, we're racing him to it or anything. They're not thinking that he'll be there at all. No, it's it's there really to give a kind of a dramatic flourish to the end of the film, beyond which you can then start to come down. I think, and it feels a bit like that too. Um, that that's my feeling of the denouement. But I, this is a film which has happened to me a number of occasions where it has just been on. And I've watched a few minutes. This wouldn't happen to you. <laughs> I've watched a few minutes and then just watched it to the end. I can't mm, stop watching. Sure. I, I find it magnetic. Um, we could talk about why, but I, I think probably we both agree that that plot is fairly slight. Kiefer Sutherland is is phenomenally good in it. Um, yeah. Ace Merrill does crop up uh, as a character in some of Stephen King's later books, but uh, uh, it's needful things. It's not very good. Or is it Tommy yeah. Nockers? Can't remember. Neither of them are very good. <laughs> I, 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 I will uh, admit this, this film starts with several strikes against it, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, Stephen King is not a positive thing, particularly. Um, okay. Though, uh, yeah, a lot of crap films have been made out of his books, so fair enough. Uh, no significant female characters. Yes, exactly. Uh, but I don't think there's any name. Uh, there's Dad's new wife or girlfriend or something. Uh, Geordie's mum is in it. Uh, uh, I I don't think she's a new wife. I don't think she's just Geordie's mum. I I may be uh... Gordy. Sorry, not Geordie. I'm going to call him Geordie the whole way through, but it's good. Uh, but I think she's the only female character that appears in it there, at there's all. There's the waitress who comes out when the gun goes off. Oh yeah, that's it. I, and it is worrying me slightly, you know, a lot of the films that I've mentioned as my absolute favourites have had pretty much no significant female characters with Jaws, um, The Many Would Be, The Manny Would Be King, this, um, I don't know what it is about male bonding, uh, the thing. I don't know what it is about male bonding, but it works for me. Mm. Um, I don't consider myself a particularly manly man. Um, and in my defensive favourite so. films, Almost, <laughs> almost none of our films have had significant female characters so far. Much yeah, I mean, to some their of this detriment. is just the, the time they're happening in. Um, yes, yeah, the, the, this is my taste. I, 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 it's it's like a film that is all white people, though. I mean, that's that's the environment I largely grew up in, so I don't notice it as much. Yes, but it's similarly saying, you know, we're just going to have this tiny subset of people, and they're all basically quite similar. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, and children, and nostalgia. <laughs> no, uh, none of nostalgia which for, a, for a thing that I don't feel nostalgic about. And yep. got to say, Will Wheaton. Uh, yeah, well, I was. You mentioned. I mean, I kind of forced you into watching this. The, um, the, these are not things that cause me to say I want to watch this film. This is how you started thinking about the film, and but, it never. You know, I'm, I'm trying. I'm. St- I, <laughs> I try to overcome prejudice. I try to be fair okay. about things. Uh, okay. It didn't work in this case. Um, okay. I think the thing that really turned it for me was that first scene in the treehouse hmm. where, you know, they're, they're discussing what they're going to do, but their entire conversation is insults. Yeah. I love it. And these That's kids are favorite. supposed to like each other. They're supposed to be their friends. But that is, well, Okay. I mean, I agree with I mean, you, if, but if, that's if I'd what... met people like that when I was 12, I'd got away and read a book instead. Yeah, they don't read books, not even the intellectual one. They read comics <laughs> at, at most. Uh, are you right? Stories, though. Um, I, my experience of being a child in a playground is that sort of thing. It's, it's just constantly insulting each other and finding ways to, not to the extreme that it is here. Crowd I wasn't a jock. Uh, but it, yeah, my expert, it rings true to me, or at least uh, is a different way of portraying childhood friendship in a way that I prefer Lord of the Flies to the, um, uh, the, 
the Blue Reef, is it? I forget it, what it was called, that it was um, a reaction to Lord of the Flies. Uh, I find kids are generally insulting and enjoy insulting each other. Um, I agree with you. I just don't want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, I, I, for me, it's played with clear affection and it has a touch of reality to it that appeals to me. The thing where it does work for me is they are obviously growing up into what we would now call toxic masculinity and it's only when they manage to transcend I'm going to insult you and actually start talking to each other that they that they start to get somewhere. I mean, yeah, yeah. Gordy is obviously suffering a certain amount of post-traumatic stress because of the death of his brother and he has no toolkit to cope with that. His parents have no toolkit to cope with that. None mm. of them do. Yeah. But they do at least start to. All or, or, or right, sir. So, Perhaps they get it just just a bit too sincere, but yeah. But, okay, yeah, fair enough. I mean, for me... But, but, yeah, but that, I think, is the primary message, and I can at least see that that's what's being said, so, you know. <laughs> well, that's... I... For me, the film is about Gordy uh, learning that his parents aren't aren't really able to understand him, even if they were trying, and, and he has to face the world himself it's about facing mortality and and really it's about the kids realizing uh, yeah realizing mortality is a thing that they're going to have to face and it's about the passage of time and the 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 fact that the kids know it's never going to be like this again and so they're enjoying it for all it's worth they're living in the moment now mm. they're all things that appeal to me um and uh, I, I find it a very affecting film in a lot of ways, right from the, um, from, I mean, you talked about, uh, when they stop insulting each other. I think it's the insults that make that more, for me, make it more moving. When, yeah. the, the moment when, I mean, we've talked about, um, Kiefer Sutherland's acting. I, I feel these acting performance from all these kids is incredible, personally. I, I, I genuinely do. <sighs> Uh, let's talk about I, I Will Wheaton say, then. I can't say you're wrong. I I just never found myself really convinced by any of them, okay. uh, except River Phoenix. Again, he is a, a he feels like a standout uh, amongst the others. Um, uh, and, but, and of the four of them, he was the guy who maintained the squeaky clean image until he died of an overdose. Um, well, that's seven I, years again late, seven years after this film. <laughs> that makes it even more affecting to me uh, that like that art, life kind of imitated art. It does raise some troubling questions about child actors at all, because it's no secret that child actors, that kids who come into significant fame and money, struggle. They either struggle with their parents having to handle it, or they struggle themselves, and, it, mm. and it's a rare kid. You know, Will Wheaton amongst them that comes through that relatively unscathed. And, you know, Will Wheaton's had a lot of his troubles too. I, I do. I mean, uh, uh, I'm. I, he, I think he, even Will... he projects, I suspect, unconsciously an air of smug, which I find very unpleasant. I don't think that makes him a nasty person, but it does make him a person I don't want to watch. Right, fair enough. I, I feel that a bit at the end and the denouement. Um, with the gun. I, I feel he, he seems quite sensitive and genuine. I, I agree. Some of his acting perhaps is patchier. Um, and I could not bear him in, uh, in Star Trek, uh, the next generation. But uh, I think, I don't know if you read his autobiography, um, is it just a geek? I think you, you understand. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I, you feel sorry for him because he, everyone felt like that about, um, Will Wheaton. And he, you know, it's hard to be that person that everyone hates. Just yeah. as Phil Collins, um, it's uh, it's a tricky, I, and and that opens some questions about how is it okay, you know, if culturally someone is disliked, is it okay to treat them like that in real life? Which is kind of what happened to Will Wheaton a lot until mm. his resurgence um, as kind of king of the geeks, which I have no interest in watching. I, I find it over you know all the stuff he does is now overproduced and certainly feels smug now but i still find it in my heart to be pleased for him mm -hmm. that's not about this film though but <laughs> but i i agree with you his performance perhaps it, i, I it, still it's think it's great uh, i think in particular because m more than any of the others of, of the four kids he looks a lot more like 
the Will Wheaton image that I have seen before and recognise. Right, okay, yeah. Uh, so, it, so it is difficult for me to forget the other stuff he's done. Right, okay, yeah, fair enough. I, I wasn't, I'm not so much of a, a trekker, so I wasn't that aware of Will Wheaton. And to be honest, I encountered this before the next generation. Yeah. So I didn't have so much, uh, any particular preconceptions about Will Wheaton. I still think he does, I still think it's a very good acting job. Um, mm-hmm. River Phoenix, that to me, that scene where he opens up about the lunch money. Yeah. Oh, I just reduces me to a blubbering mess every time that he just can't believe an adult would do that. Now, this is a similar, you know, we talked about the Breakfast Club last time. For me, this is similar to the Breakfast Club. It's the kids realizing, you know, the adults are not necessarily on their side. Even though his own big brother is one of the gang members. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but that's part of it as well. I mean, I, I think, to me, these are better round, better drawn characters, white guys though they are, than the archetypes we had in um, The Breakfast Club. And the mm. the emotional moments we get here, to me, feel more earned. They feel less forced. They feel more... Uh, and by those moments, I mean the... You know, the realisation that um, Corey Feldman's character is gonna probably never going to come to any good and realising that he is a bit crazy uh, and he's been driven that way by his childhood. Um, that Will Wheaton realising his dad hates him um, and he has to sort of stand on his own. Um, River Phoenix breaking down when he realises that adults aren't going to always look after him and he's got to look after himself. Um all those moments, I don't know, to me, just fine cinematic moments. They may be polished, they may be Hollywood, but they do, they all work for me. Not less Sophia. How did you feel about the lunch money scene? <sighs> I like the idea of it, I don't like the implementation of it. It felt, mm. I mean, I don't know whether this is the script writing or the direction or the acting, I can't, I'm not familiar enough to pin it down, but mm. it just felt clunking and now we're going to lay this out really slowly so the stupid guy asleep in the back row can still understand what's going on (laughs) and then we're going to explain it again later it's like the blade run narration (laughs) (laughs) um i okay that's a fair it doesn't feel that way to me but it it is a slow scene but we, we should perhaps say that this was the first time i'd seen this Yes, whereas it must be the seventh or eighth. And they have a black and flink at heart, so... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, a a film works for me if it moves me emotionally, and Stand By Me always has, and did again move me to tears. You know, with the closing song, I start crying. I don't know why, particularly. This was um, apparently responsible for the song becoming popular again. Yes, I get forgotten until this point. It was a bestseller, like, uh, the next year, maybe, or maybe this year. Um, I remember it being on a Now That's What I Call Music um, in the 80s. I think it might have been 87, so it must have been uh, riding high again on the basis of this. Um, okay, uh, and River Phoenix's acting performance, yeah. Uh... He, he he was the one of the four who convinced me that okay. yeah, this, this, yeah. Is a, this is a character that is actually, you know, this is not just somebody standing there and saying what he's told to say. It, it was yeah. an acting job. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, I think we don't learn as much about the others. Um, no, they're, they're reduced to slightly secondary characters. We're not just the same in them. I, again, Corey Feldman um, uh, also... Did Lost Boys after this. Did uh, Lost Boys after this, then did a lot of other things, which meant that he didn't do much else in the way of filming. Um, he uh, was yeah, friends with... And he, he's one of those guys, you know, nobody's actually formally charged him with rape, but everybody's got a story about how you don't want to be alone with him. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's. Uh, I mean, Corey Feldman had a pretty awful childhood before this. Um, mm-hmm. He fell in with Corey Haim from the Lost Boys. They did the My Two Corys together. Uh, Corey Haim uh, then died of an overdose fairly shortly after concluding or halfway through the show. I'm not sure. Whereas Corey Feldman has, uh, is kind of clean and now into music. Um, I, I, again. I don't know enough about him to know uh, to know much about mm. his personal circumstance. Um, I Jerry O'Connell feel... has been in an awful lot of really bad things. <laughs> he was in um, Police Academy Sliders, Sliders, wasn't it? Um, was he? Uh, and he, I mean, he 
he seems like I don't know. He was in Sliders. He was in Tomcats. He was in. Uh, I'm just looking down this list. Piranha 3D, Scary Movie Five. He, he has he has a lot of form for coming on board with number five or six in the series. <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck to him. But I will say his performance for me, I find the least. I, I mean, he's the least developed character. He's kind of the comedy character and the the butt of the jokes and kind of the annoying character. Um, he doesn't really get any pathos particularly. Um, he doesn't get any scenes where he stands out. And I, I do... I, I think he's a necessary character and I like him. Um, I don't... Uh, I, I found his acting didn't convince me particularly. Of all of the four, he's the least convincing to me. Um, but... I love him. I love him all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to be objective. Um, but it, it moves me anyway. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, the, I think the thing that just kept reminding me was those people who, who say their school days were the happiest days of their lives and they really mean it. Yeah. I, uh, no, I mean my school days weren't <laughs> terrible, but I've done so many more interesting things and met more interesting people since then. I, I yeah, I mean we touched on this in the Breakfast Club. I did have a very happy childhood. I did enjoy school. Um, I, I mean, I went to school, then vet school, which I loved. Then I became a vet, which I found very difficult, and I basically had no social life for pretty mm. much the, the length of time that I was in general practice. So it's hard for me not to reflect upon times before that as happier. Fair enough. Um, uh, which is not a, a sort of <laughs> sob story or anything, but I, I don't feel like my working life was as... It is now, uh, but I don't feel like my working life was as carefree or pleasurable um, mm. or free as my school days. Um, and so I look back on that time with nostalgia. Um, uh, for me, it's all... Uh, the other the book that moves me in a similar way is The Elfish Gene, um, which describes... Um, I t- I'm not sure it's the best written book in the world, but it, it touches me because it describes role-playing groups, <laughs> which was my childhood. Oh, we, we, should, um, we should get you on the same podcast as Mike sometime. He has yeah, I know. about that book. Oh, I know, I know. I, should, I, I, I hesitated to mention it. Because, um, I've and never I'm, read it, so... It's, it moves me in a similar way, though it, it does really read is very fictional um it doesn't feel as true to me as stand by me in a way uh but i i don't know i'm a sucker for nostalgia and feeling Mm. um yeah i think perhaps i'm particularly sensitive to this sort of thing of feeling times gone by and lost lost childhood and and um time passing this film hits all of those in a admittedly quite a hollywood way even though i don't think it was particularly hollywood funded um in a way that is framed by me that feels very comfortable because I'm a white guy. You know, it's Richard Dreyfus telling me all this. Um, <laughs> it's Stephen King, who, you know, I read from a very young age. Um, I always find King readable and very good with his characters. I often find his plots have something lacking. And so mm. it's, it's rare that I am... I mean, the, the, the horror author, I did, a, I did a deep dive on the same sort of... Uh... Probably not the same sort of time, but the same sort of general idea of where I was at the time was Dean Koontz. Uh, oh yes, yeah. Who, I've tried Dean in Koontz. many respects, is really pretty terrible. But he's but yeah. when he's got a good idea, he he does it well. I d- he's more yes, I agree. Probably better ideas. Um, I've never really got on with Dean Koontz. He's always felt slightly sub Stephen King to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was getting into James Herbert the same time. Um, James Herbert, I love much an underappreciated mm. writer, I feel. Um, uh, I always felt he was like the British Stephen King for a while and then just faded away and then died, rather sadly, a few years ago, didn't he? Um, uh, and of course, Lovecraft, which, uh, Lovecraft heavily influences Stephen King, but no, I can never not get. Not here, I think. Not here, no. <laughs> King never gets, that's turning into Stephen King pocket. King never quite gets Lovecraft right to me because he always personalises his villains, um, which Lovecraft Kind of that—that's that the horror of them than being impersonal. Um, the closest you get is Nyarlathotep, and that's always seemed to me to sit a bit oddly with the rest of the 
Anyway, but there's also I, I, no, I agree. Running masks of Neil Lathotep and trying to play Neil Lathotep, it's, it's hard to. What is his motivation? It's hard to. Anyway, let's uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's not go down that way. Um, Make stir the red ants and the black ants with a stick. I think is the short version. Feels like, yeah, yeah. I think that's um, about it. Um, uh, I, one, one particular yeah. thing. I mean, it was, it's obviously one of the big set pieces in terms of production and budget. Um, the bit where they're racing the train across the bridge. Oh yes. Okay. And the thing I couldn't help noticing, and maybe I've just spent too much time around steam trains, is that the driver is making no attempt to brake. I mean, he might well not be able to stop the train in time, but he would probably be trying. He's beeping his horn, isn't he, or something? And you, you would hear the brakes squealing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Has he met the think... children before? <laughs> the, the other thing is that not, none of them think of lying down beside the track as opposed to running straight forward. But, you know, uh, this, this has a long tradition in film. That one of the Alien sequels did the same thing. Yeah, the, the, the giant disc-shaped spacecraft is it's, um, crashing, rolling towards you. Uh, do you run sideways? No, you run directly away from it. <laughs> um, the track doesn't look that wide to me. You would be worried you'd get vibrated off. But I, it's a fair point. Um, I... Uh... The train is a very impersonal thing. It's kind of like a force of nature, it feels to me. Mm, that it's that not did really... feel very Stephen Kingy. Yes, yes. And a bit um, Steven Spielberg, he was like a duel, that kind of yeah. thing. It's, it's that kind of impersonal well, machine for, for rather that than... of the shark in Jaws. I mean, it's, it's not out to get anybody. It's it's just there. It's just, yeah. It's, it's a, you put a, your boat a, in front of it, it's going to get eaten. Exactly. That's how, that's how, that's how I reconcile that. But I agree... It doesn't make it a, a huge amount of sense, and it's not really necessary, other than to add a bit of a dramatic spike. I mean, all these moments are um, uh, what's the word for a story that is just one thing after another, like Apocalypse Now? It's it's one of those stories, isn't it? Um, uh, but it's really about how the kids react to it, um, mm. rather than rather than the stories. The the, the story beats. And not necessarily that exciting. Um, um, there, there is some some progress, but the pro- the scenes where there is progress are the ones where they're not having the big action things. It's it's where they're you know pausing between that thing and the next thing. Yes, uh, picaresque. That's the, that might be the picaresque term. is the word I was thinking. Oh, thank you. Um, um, uh, did you? Uh, I think I know the answer to this already. Do you find it uh, funny at all? No, but I have no, no. sense of humour. <laughs> Fair enough. It, it I did feel I... at one point as if somebody had taken all the things I enjoy in a film and removed them. I mean, there have been films <laughs> that I haven't enjoyed it, it just in, in this sequence. Yes. For example, Raging Bull. Uh, but Raging Bull has the interesting photography and it has some solid acting, even if I didn't like it or sympathise with the character. And yeah. this seemed to me to have none of those things. I mean, there's, there are no great big gorgeous long shots of Oregon scenery, for example. The... The scenery is gorgeous, but I agree it's not really... Yeah, the cinematography is not inspiring, probably, in that way. Yeah, that's a fair point. I I don't... Uh, to be fair, I don't find this funny. I slightly cringe at the chopper sick balls bit. I, I, uh, but that is a... That kind of humour is perhaps either more American or more on the nose. I, I don't find it a terribly funny film, but I do find... I get a warm feeling out of the... I don't know, just the camaraderie. It, it, it is a plausible thing for kids in, of that age and in that culture to believe. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm just not terribly interested in them. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, I I like... Yeah, I think I like the just the camaraderie, really, between them, including that moment, when they're having that moment in the junkyard, chatting about the... Uh, the girls that they're watching on the TV at the minute and, um, these kind of local folklore or the, uh, myths that pass around kids. I, I just, um, it, it rings true to me. I'm not sure it is necessarily true, but it rings true to me in a way that other portrayals of children don't in films. Mm. Um, or it's, it's a slightly different way of, in a way that I, I suppose in a similar way to how the Breakfast Club makes teenagers actual characters with feelings and thoughts. I, mm. I feel this does a similar thing for 12-year-olds. It, it's interesting because obviously you know, the, the uh, short story uh, came out first by, by some years and presumably yes. this, this would have been in production when The Breakfast Club was released because you know, it takes a while to get a film together. Yes. But, um, 
some of it, you know, it pro- probably complete coincidence, but I, I did sometimes find myself thinking, particularly towards the end of, you know, we never really got together again after that. Yeah. Feeling that The Breakfast Club had done it better. Which oh, is, you know, well, not, not, not that either film had any awareness of the other, probably, but. No, I agree. I, I, I think you're right in both. I, a part of the reason I suggested this film was I thought it'd be an interesting counterpoint to The Breakfast Club, because mm. I, I kind of feel the opposite, really. I feel it's doing a similar thing, humanising younger people uh, and taking them away from the adults. I sure. feel it's done better here. But it, it, that's... Yeah. Uh, only because I identify with the characters more. I feel the characters are uh, a bit stronger. I, I don't know. Um, but... Um, but yeah, okay. That's that's interesting. I thought it might have a similar effect on you, but it didn't. <laughs> that, that's fair enough. Uh, well, okay. Um, I mean, I've mentioned my negatives with the film, the denouement, the uh, the fact that Kiefer Sutherland is just too cool for school. Um, maybe um, uh, Jerry O'Connell's acting. Um, I have some issues with the the plot being wrapped up with a with a gun with the threat of violence um i they're, they're my negatives for the film um was there anything you enjoyed at the film right you said it, it took everything that you enjoyed of the film was there anything you could enjoy at least stand back and enjoy on a technical level or there, there were bits i liked um i mean and as as you mentioned the um the the sequence with the about the lunch money yeah. And the, the the final bit where yeah the the thing that it's all been building up to they they where um Gordian Gordy and Chris have their heart to heart yeah yeah I mean it's 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 crude it's clunky but I can at least see yeah that this this makes some sort of sense yeah but I did not find my I, it was quite quite hard work uh, just to oh, get through dear. this at all to be honest oh so. I'm sorry um. Oh, that's a, that's a tricky. We'll have to agree to. Well, all I can say is that it moves me emotionally. But when you find out that Chris uh, just randomly is stabbed to death at the end, I just I just can't cope with it. I just um, and then this shouldn't affect the film itself. But knowing what happened to River Phoenix in reality, that mm. seems to me to lend more poignancy to that story. It shouldn't, but it does to me. Sure. Uh, it, it gives it more emotional weight, but I, I think it doesn't. Uh, it had that before I knew about River Phoenix. Um, yeah, I just I, I find um, yeah I find it moving, and I'm I don't know. I'm slightly embarrassed talking about it now. That I I can see that it is a bit clunky. That it's very in some ways it's just white guy problems, and it's um, kids I, I with father issues just, um, work better if you come to it at the right sort of age. That might be true. That might be true. I did watch it not long after it came out. I was probably watched it when I was uh, an early teen. Um, uh, if it is perhaps the first time you've met some of these ideas, yes, dramatic tropes and so on. All right. Well, so, do you feel it's a masterpiece? Was it influential is the first part of that question. I don't think so. I mean, you you, you may disagree. Um, I didn't get a strong feeling of, I have seen this done later. Um, I I was trying to think of this too. Um, but, you know, I, I don't go for a lot of films with child protagonists, so it may well be that I simply haven't seen stuff that it did influence. Actually, the closest I could think of... I agree with you. I was thinking, well, is there a lot of which the closest I could think of was Stranger Things, the TV show. Hmm. Um, and that... I, I think that is trying to hook into the same nostalgia that this is. Certainly. Exactly. And, but I feel that is more, and I, I think the film did influence that a bit, but I think more than anything, Stranger Things is influenced by Stephen King, the writer, not Stand hmm. By Me, the film. Um, cause he writes a number of stories in this way, you know, it is a very similar story about coming of age. It's just got a monster Tim Curry in it, which I, I suspect you would have liked this film more if it had a giant clown Tim Curry in. <laughs> was, um, but I mean, the, but, the, just thinking of, you know, other 80s child, child protagonist films, you've got, you know, stuff, stuff like The Goonies or Flight of the Navigator, yeah. which are obviously yeah. more adventure rather than drama. Yeah. But I think that what's 
people reach back to in a nostalgic sense now is the generic gestalt of 80s child-centred film rather than a film specifically. That's the, the vague impression I get anyway. Yeah, I think you're probably... I'm slightly depressed that 80s is now the go-to era for nostalgia on the TV instead of the 50s, which it was when I was growing up. Yeah, well, it's usually, I guess that's... You know, 30 years earlier. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. I just, well, at least we're past the 70s, I mean, goodness. <laughs> oh, goodness, yes, that's true. Um, and Bass, uh, you know, if we talked about the... I like the the 50s in America feels happy to me in a way that the 50s in England... Oh, goodness, goodness, it's hard work. Yeah, well, um, I would happier if you, if you were in the right place and looked right, so... <laughs> I would not like to have watched Stand By Me set in London in the 50s, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Four London kids go out looking for a dead body. Oh, there it is. End of film. <laughs> oh, there'll be a whole lot more tetanus for a start. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I, I think I agree with you. I, I struggle to see influencers except the huge influence that Stephen King has had on pop culture. Rob Reiner's later films, it's hard to say a film influenced its own director. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure that really counts. So I, there hasn't really been many films like it since. Um, I, I want to call it a masterpiece because I love it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, to me, uh, it just works for me on an emotional level, and I think more than anything on an emotional level, which yeah. is why I'm struggling to articulate it. Maybe that means it's not a masterpiece, but it is a film that I love and always will. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I right, can say you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> I mean, apart from anything else, this sort of thing is very much a personal reaction. Yeah, um, yeah. I, well, I think we've we, proven we, that. We, this... We've just talked about, you know insofar as we can talk about things objectively, but you know, your, your everything you see about this film is coloured by your liking it. Every, everything I see about yeah. it is coloured by my disliking it. We can't really get away from that. And it's interesting that this is the first film we've had that reaction to. Otherwise, we've had similar, with varying degrees of enthusiasm, but similar reactions to most of the films we've watched. Paul, our Pauline Kale check-in would be that she didn't especially like this film. I don't think she hated it, but she didn't particularly like it. She yeah, felt it was... Like um, a pastoral support group. Quick to perceive yeah. signs of trouble and to lay gentle, firm hands on needy shoulders. Yeah. Overdoses on sincerity and nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably fair. They're just things that I like. So I, um, I, w- yeah. I would say mixed contemporary critics. Um, mm. Walter Goodman said uh, the direction was self-conscious and constantly looking at the audience, and I think that's fair. Yes. Um, he, he, he also found it quite heavy-handed. On the other hand... Um, you know, Sheila Benson said, a treasure not to be missed. So. Yeah. I'd say similar reactions in a way, really, that if if you don't emotionally react to it, then you can't help but look at the rest of it and wonder what the fuss is about. Um, fair enough. Well, should we, should we look at other 1986 films in that case? Yeah, so uh, at the Academy Awards... Um, yeah, I, I will admit that we had, we had an interesting discussion p- picking our... our, our a film for 86. Uh, <laughs> we did. Because um, there were a lot of options and really we didn't feel enthused about a whole lot of them. Uh, I, well, I feel 86, we're in the era of films where I've seen a lot of these films and I'm thinking back on them now, don't think a lot of them either <laughs> in many ways, but let's so, see. So, uh, Oscars, uh, Platoon and Hannah oh, and yeah. Her Sisters. We did wonder about Platoon, but we felt we'd be covering Apocalypse Now ground a bit. Uh, we, doing... we may at some point do Platoon and Hamburger Hill and some other stuff. But... Full Metal Jacket maybe yeah. as well. Hannah and her sisters, I, uh, uh, I, I, problematic, I have, I have isn't it? I have an uh, allergy to Woody Allen, so... Uh, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, Children of a Lesser God, uh, The Colour of Money. Oh, not... These oh, are all yeah. films I'm sort of vaguely aware of, but don't yeah. feel any great enthusiasm for. No, well, I like Paul Newman, but um, yeah, yeah, maybe Colour of Money, but I think you'd be better off watching. Is it The Hustler that it was? Uh, it's the mm. sort of sequel to. Hey, I, I just like The Sting, so. Oh, we should watch The Sting again. I wonder how I feel about that now. I suspect it's mm. very much like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I'm not sure I'd enjoy it as much now because it's just such a filmic film. And has almost no relation to reality. <laughs> but oh, maybe well, if I, I could. I have read it. the book, The Long Con, which is a very good book, by the way. You should read it. Oh, uh, okay. I'll have a look into that. A, a, a book about con men that started as a linguistics study. It's great. 
<laughs> okay, I will have a look. Plus, more Robert Shaw is not a bad thing. Um, uh, but but uh, also, uh, so if, if we look at the highest grossing films, mm. uh, number 10, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which I think we've mentioned occasionally. Mm. I prefer it to The Breakfast Club. It would be my favourite of the John. I think probably is the best of the John Hughes films. Um, I've seen it, I don't know, maybe five years after it came out, thereabouts. Mm. Didn't love it, but, you know, that's still quite a long time ago now. So, All right, yeah, different. fair enough. Uh, Ruthless People, black comedy, uh, oh, yeah. I, I have never seen. but I have. It didn't really work. It's Danny DeVito, isn't it, and a few other. Um, didn't Jack, work Jack for Reinhold me. Jack Reinhold in a supporting role when, it, when, he, was, me, get, when he was about to be the next big star, and then somehow, for some reason, he wasn't. He wasn't, yeah. Well... Uh, number eight, The Golden Child, Eddie Murphy comedy. Yeah, I liked it at the time. No interest in watching it again Not now. Not seen it. Uh, number seven, Aliens, which ah. mm. no more need be said, so we'll say it next time. We'll say it next week. <laughs> uh, number six, Back to School, uh, comedy, Roddy Dangerfield, um, goes back to school. Wow, Rodney Dangerfield. Mm. Okay, uh, only, yeah. Only role for pre-drug-induced breakdown, Robert Downey Jr. So, oh, yeah. really? <laughs> he was in Weird Science um, as well, wasn't yeah. he? Um, well, he turned and out all right. And then yeah. after that, they paid him enough to afford the drugs. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, num- at number five, we have Star Trek for the Voyage Home, which uh, I think may have been... I think the second Star Trek film I actually saw. I'd seen the very first one mm. and then kind of lost track. But four was the one where they realised they could have a sense of humour to me. It's great, and isn't it? For maybe I don't not, know if it's a masterpiece. Maybe but it's they're not great, great comedians, but it's fun. It's got a great deal of affection for the characters, and yeah. it makes you have a great deal of affection too. I love it. That is possibly the best, maybe the second best track film. Uh, at number four, The Karate Kid Part Two. I haven't actually seen The Karate Kid Part One, but never mind. I've seen one, not seen any others. Didn't really appeal to me particularly. Uh, number three, Platoon. You're just mentioning. Oh, laugh a minute, that one. <laughs> uh, I have watched it again recently. Um, all right, and we can talk about it some other time. Yeah. Uh, number two, Crocodile Dundee. Oh, mate, what happened to that? I completely forgot about that film. Wow. Yeah, uh, I was uh, chat- chatting with uh, our, our supporter, Glenn, by email, and mm-hmm. um, he he was suggesting that we really should have done this, but but maybe, maybe you shouldn't... Uh, Maintain the accent for for the entire. <laughs> but, I didn't... but obviously you wouldn't be, so that would be fine. It feels weird to think of Australia as an exotic place nowadays that Americans basically haven't heard of, mm-hmm. um, which is, seems like the joke of the film. Um, but Paul Hogan does have an immense amount of charisma, at least in that film. I, don't, I haven't really seen. Yeah, I mean, else. he he was in this and one or two other things, and but really this was the role he had. Yeah. So, uh, that's the bit I... Oh, no, there I was, think... There was a sequel, you don't want to know. There was Crocodile Dundee 2, I remember that. I think there was a third one? I don't... I Even I haven't heard of the third one. And even then they did... There was much excitement it was going to be revived, but it turned out to be a ploy by the Australian Tourist Board. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's some good adverts of it, but um, anyway, yeah. Yeah, and, and at number one, the film that has been described as the best PG-rated gay porn film ever made, Top Gun. Wow. <laughs> um, I don't, Top Gun is one of those films I haven't actually watched all the way through but I feel like I've seen <laughs> a bit like The Wizard of Oz um, I kind of know the beats that happens in it I've seen the right stuff I feel like I can fill in the blanks now Well, Top Gun has I mean given the, the people who made it, you know, it it's produced by Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer it's directed by mm. Tony Scott it is very much here is a recruiting commercial for the US Navy, and obviously the, the Navy realised this and threw in a whole lot of resources to make it more convincing. Yeah. But in, in particular, just just watch that opening scene. It, it, it's probably on YouTube on its own if you don't have access to the film. Uh, okay. that, that whole bit on the carrier deck. Uh, right. Up to the point where they start the dialogue. And that in itself is just viscerally, yeah, these are manly men. <laughs> and it works. Even on me, it works. Well, okay. I mean, I don't, you know, with that pedigree, I, I mean, I just don't have a lot of interest in why they're not people that I feel like I've, if those I've people never ever found met, Tom Cruise particularly watchable as an actor. 
I, on, on the other hand, I do think Tom Cruise is a very good actor. Um, I mean, I remember him particularly in Vanilla Sky, which I love, mm-hmm. and um, Magnolia, which I love. Um, as a person, um, I don't know if I should be judging that really, but I, I feel like where I would find him least... bad taste in religion. <laughs> where I would find him absolutely least interesting would be Tom Gunn, I suspect. But mm. he does look quite a lot like... Um, uh, the right stuff guy who I forgot. <laughs> and there is a sequel coming out next year with Tom yeah. Cruise in it. What's that Top Gun era? They probably just call it Top Gun again nowadays. No, no, it is, it is actually a sequel, not a reboot. Is it called Maverick or something yeah. like that? Oh, it is called Maverick. I was going to say, they either call it, or they just call it the last name of the main character. I don't know why <laughs> that is a thing. Or in the case of The Thing, they just call it The Thing again. Mm, though I, right. I believe that was a subtitle that everybody forgot to... Quite in, in the thing, yeah, for the, for the yeah, the, th- the new thing, 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 thingier. Um, oh, we should do <laughs> thing, Die Hard thing at some point. I remember the first time I became aware of that. Became aware of that was my brother and I watched an advert for Die Hard Two, and it, it came up and said Die Hard Two, Die Harder, and we both just burst out laughing. <laughs> just, mm. just and. There wasn't a hint of irony, and it hasn't really changed since then. The only way trailers have changed nowadays is they don't use that gravel-voiced guy who did all of it. And now, before a trailer, we seem to get a little trailer before the trailer, a trailer of the trailer you're about to watch. I don't know why that happens, but there we go. Because you are a youth and have no attention span. (laughs) You you also quite often these days uh, get a classic pop song done in a cover version, downbeat and often transposed to a minor key. Oh, God. And once you start noticing this, and sorry, I apologise to all our audience, you can't unnotice this. I, I heard that happen with, um, I wish it would be Christmas every day. <laughs> it's like downbeat in a minor chord. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I, right. I, I would certainly say, yes, let us by all means talk about Die Hard, because it had, it had a really interesting effect on action films. Yes. Uh, whether we talk about that at, in its time or, or with the, one of the sequels, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But, uh. I'm not sure I want to talk about the sequel. Maybe Die Hard 2. 2 was okay. I mean, it would, it would be interesting to watch all the Die Hard films and see how they evolved. It almost became subsumed back into the genre that it subverted, didn't it? But, um, mm. oh dear. I, anyway, yes, let's, we'll, we'll, to be discussed. <laughs> but there we are. That will be our 1986 A movie. Um, it's time to switch to our B feature for 1986, um, which we're both excited about. I think. See, you got through Stand by Me, and now you can enjoy yourself. Uh, you always <laughs> say that. You always say I got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it only remains for me to say that I never, I never made any podcast like when I made podcasts for Ribbon and Memes. Jesus, does anyone? I do hope so.